the whole terminology in the United States of pro-choice and pro-life is problematic terminology because I would like to believe that I'm both pro-choice and pro-life. And if I were to label the two camps, one camp should be called life begins at conception or something like that. And one, although that's neither not a halakhic view probably at all, a life begins before birth at some point versus life begins at, at when, when the child is born or a fetus is a life versus a fetus is not a life camp. And that's really fundamentally a metaphysical question. It's something I think a lot of people don't understand when they talk about it. Is there a heartbeat? Is there this, there that? This is a metaphysical question. Animals have heartbeats as well. That doesn't make them human beings. When does someone with human DNA become a human being? And when does a person die as well on the other end, whether the, you know, the classic example, brain death is dead. These are not biological questions. These are metaphysical questions. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. On Monday, May 2nd, Politico obtained a draft majority opinion written by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito to overturn Roe v. Wade, the 1973 court decision that broadly granted federal protection of abortion rights. The court has affirmed that the leaked document is authentic, but also said that it's preliminary. Regardless, this means that the 49-year-old constitutional right to abortion may soon be overturned. And instead, each of the 50 states will make its own legislative decision regarding the legality of abortion. Jewish people on both sides of this issue are lining up to support or denounce the potential Supreme Court decision. But it seems to me, perhaps only anecdotally, that many are doing so without a full investigation or understanding of what halacha actually says about abortion. As Orthodox Jews, we may or may not want halacha to inform public policy decisions but we should at least know the approach of Jewish law before wading into the debate. There are many in the pro-life camp who assert that abortion is akin to killing a baby. If halacha agrees that a fetus is a full human life, we might have second thoughts about promoting a pro-choice agenda. And if halacha claims that a fetus is fundamentally part of its mother rather than an independent living human being, we might wonder about making common cause with the pro-life movement. In order to get a better grasp of the halachic thinking that surrounds abortion, I invited Rabbi Dr. Jeremy Weeder back on the podcast to explain the issues involved. Rabbi Weeder was my guest just a few months ago in episode 99, and I received such positive feedback that he was my immediate first choice to discuss this important topic. We'll get to that discussion in a moment. First, please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum page on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. We have some fantastic discussions there, so check it out today. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few dollars a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining the Jewish Coffeehouse team. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or record and relax and let us do the heavy lifting, 
JCH Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com. That's jchpodcast.com to learn more and to sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage your audience today. Rabbi Jeremy Weeder is a Rosh Yeshiva at the Rabbi Isaac Elkanan Theological Seminary of Yeshiva University, where he occupies the Joseph and Gwendolyn Strauss Chair in Talmud. He holds a B.A. from Yeshiva College, an M.S. from the Bernard Revel Graduate School of Jewish Studies, and a Ph.D. from New York University in Hebrew and Judaic Studies, and was ordained at Reitz. He is a scholar-in-residence at Congregation Kehilat Yishirun in Manhattan, where he delivers the Dr. William Major Memorial Advanced Shear in Talmud. Two final points before we begin. First, I mentioned in last week's episode that the Orthodox conundrum would have several episodes about Jewish women and Orthodoxy. That remains the case, and I hope to continue that series in our next episode. Second, this halachic discussion with Rabbi Weider includes a significant amount of halachic terminology. While much of it is translated in the course of the podcast, some of it might be unfamiliar to many listeners. With that in mind, I'm including a glossary of sorts, along with time signatures where the terms first appear, in posts in the Orthodox Conundrum Facebook page and the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group. If there are additional terms that are unclear, please go to this post in the discussion group, comment there, and I or another listener will try to explain what the terminology means. Perhaps the most important three terms are the words nefesh, which means human life, chabala, which means wounding, and ritzicha, which means murder. Rabbi Jeremy Weeder, thank you very much for joining me once again on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Much of the public discourse surrounding abortion tends towards binary choices that are not very nuanced, either absolute belief in the rights of a mother to choose or absolute prohibition of the same. Halakha, I'm assuming, has a much more nuanced view. So this is going to be a very big question. Can you present an overview of the general halakhic approach to abortion? I would begin by making a minor modification to the question, which would be not approach, but approaches. Okay. That's an important point. There are probably two primary approaches, and it's worth spending just a few minutes talking about what the basic sources are here. There are a number of sources that would suggest that human life does not begin until birth, or certainly that a fetus is not a life. Starting with the Pasuk and Parshish Mishpatim, uh, which is understood by Chazal and Pshut the Shomikra as well, that if one strikes a pregnant mother and she miscarries, then the person is liable for monetary payment, assuming the mother doesn't die. But if she dies, then the simple shot is Masat Nefesh there's no monetary payment. Uh, based upon everything we know about the Torah's law, and Rishonim, numerous Rishonim make this comment, that the Pasuk suggests that an Uber is not an Efesh, because if the Uber were an Efesh, the Torah would never allow monetary payment to compensate for its loss. Uber meaning fetus, just for the listeners. Yes, for a fetus. Uh, so that, that's the original source. There is a Mishnah also, Masachas Alos, uh, which is cited by the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that if a woman is struggling in pregnancy and delivery, that you can dismember the fetus to save the mother's life. But once the head comes out, once you have crowning, so then ain't doch nefesh, but may nefesh, which would suggest, again, that before the fetus sticks its head out, then it's not considered a, a nefesh. Uh, similarly, the Gemara in Arachan, Mishnah Arachan, says that if you have a woman who's pregnant and sentenced to death, you don't wait for her to give birth unless she's already 
Josh Falamashper. She's reached, uh, I guess, full dilation. But other than that, you kill her immediately. And I believe Shmuel says that you even before you execute her, you actively kill the fetus. You're mocking Keneged Beisariona so that you don't wind up in the situation. I don't know exactly how it would come about, but after she's been executed, somehow the fetus comes out and it's Nivel Hames. So just to avoid Nivel Hames in the context of the execution. Desecration of, of the dead. Um, unpleasant about the death. So we, we kill the fetus, we, we sort of kill the fetus first. So th- those sources all suggest that, in fact, life doesn't begin until birth, and ubar, a fetus, is not an effort. Uh, the primary source, there may be two sources uh, that perhaps would point in the uh, opposite direction, which is, number one, the Gemara and Sanhedrin records a machlokas. It's not well known that it's machlokas. Everybody knows the position the Raman Paskins like, which I believe is the Tanah Debe Rabbi Shema. But there are two opinions amongst the Tanoim, what you learned from the Pasuk of Shofech Dam Ha'adam Ba'adam Dama Yishafech. And one of the opinions, the Tanah Debe Rabbi Shema, is Shofech Dam Ha'adam Ba'adam, one who spills the blood of a person in a person. And the Gemara says that that's a fetus. And it's talking about Ben Noach. It says Ben Noach, Ben Noach is Neragal Ubar. Ben Noach kills a fetus, he is Chayiv Misa. Um, it's clear, there's no question, halacha, a Jew who kills a fetus is not Chayim Misa. Don't want to really deal with that question. Um, but that source would suggest that actually feticide is a form of murder, because otherwise, why would a, a, a Noahide be killed for it? And in addition, the Gemara Narachan says that a, that a woman who dies, a pregnant woman who dies, that one can be Mechal Shabbos, one can bring a sakin, Derech Rishasarabim, carry a knife through the Rishasarabim in order to cut the fetus out, that perhaps the fetus is alive, which would suggest that there is an issue of pikuach nefesh, of saving the fetus's life. So these two, basically, these two directions, this tension really results in two positions in Rishonim, the way it's classically been understood. On the one hand, you have the position of the Rambam, who sounds as if he wasn't always understood this way, uh, but over the last several centuries has been understood that killing a fetus is a form of shvichos damim. That's why Benoch is killed for it. And the only situation in which you can kill a fetus uh, when you, you go, perform an abortion is to save the life of the mother. The Rambam, borrowing a diuk, an inference from the Gemara in Sanhedrin, says that the Ubar is kirodev. He is like a rodev, like a pursuer, trying to kill his mother, even though obviously there's no intent. Uh, and so the Rambam suggests that the permission to kill the fetus, dismember the fetus to save the mother is only because he's a rodef. Otherwise, it would be prohibited. It would be a form of shvichos dam of murder. Uh, many Rishonim, those who suggest that an uber is not a nefesh, are understood to hold that killing a fetus uh, is only considered prohibition maybe of chavala, of wounding. Uh, in essence, what this might almost be a debate, although this is a much more complicated sugya, is whether Ubar is Yerachimo or Ubar Lav Yerachimo. If you believe that Ubar is Yerachimo and it has many ramifications in other areas of halacha, the Ubar is simply one limb of the mother. The mother has two arms, the mother has two legs, so she has this fetus growing in her, but it's basically a limb of her body. To remove the limb is not murder, it's just a it's like removing an arm. Normally you don't do it, but if there's a reason for it, it might be permitted. You certainly don't necessarily need pikuach nefesh, danger to life to permit it. So according to those we've shown in the prohibition is chavala, and according to the Rambam, the prohibition is ritzicha, is murder. Um, so that really, I think in a nutshell, at least sort of conceptually, how how our tradition looks at abortion. What is What potential halachic issues are there forming an abortion? Okay, that's a lot of information, and that's very, very helpful. That does seem to imply, Rabbi Weider, though, that at least according to both of these approaches, there's no such thing as a right to choose, meaning even if it's not murder, it still is 
a potential prohibition if there's no reason to do it that halacha would approve of. Is that right? So I, I, I think that's correct. I, I would start, uh, if, if I were introducing the topic, that's your privilege as the interviewer, <laughs> I would say that the whole terminology in the United States of pro-choice and pro-life is problematic terminology because I would like to believe that I'm both pro-choice and pro-life. And if I were to label the two camps, one camp should be called life begins at conception or something like that. And one, although that's neither not a halakhic view probably at all, a life begins before birth at some point versus life begins at, at when, when the child is born or a fetus is a life versus a fetus is not a life camp. And that's really fundamentally a metaphysical question. It's something I think a lot of people don't understand when they talk about it. Is there a heartbeat? Is there this, there that? This is a metaphysical question. Animals have heartbeats as well. That doesn't make them human beings. When does someone with human DNA become a human being? And when does a person die as well on the other end, whether the, you know, the classic example, brain death is dead. These are not biological questions. These are metaphysical questions. Mm -hmm. Certainly, we don't think of this question in terms of, uh, of whether or not choice versus life. We all support life. And if there's no life involved in any way, then presumably we would support choice as well. But how does that relate to the fact that it's still a sore, at least if there's no reason for it, that would halacha would approve of? Meaning even the camp that says that it's not a human life would still say that it's a limb of the mother and one can't simply amputate a limb for no reason. Correct. So I, I think that it's pretty clear that we don't permit abortion for any reason at all. But the difference between those two positions is really the range of options, the range of situations in which halachists would permit abortion. If one subscribes to the Rambam's view so the only permission to save, uh, to kill a fetus is if there is danger to life, presumably danger to the life of the mother. And even within that camp, there's really a range of opinions of what constitutes pikuach nefesh. I, I don't think it's worth really going into great detail here, but uh, Reb Chaim's position and his understanding of the Ramam led to a very, very limited view of what constitutes a situation where you can kill the fetus, and what is what when is the fetus really a rodeth? Others may take a slightly more expansive view of pikuach nefesh, but fundamentally speaking, if there is no danger to the life of the mother, there is no permission to to terminate the pregnancy. I, I will tell you from what I understand from doctors is situations where it's a choice between the life of the mother and the life of the fetus are exceedingly, exceedingly rare. They happen, mm -hmm. but they're very, very rare. Where you can talk about is pikuach nefesh of the mother versus the child. Part of that, I think, is because we can perform C-sections. So one of the very dangerous points, not the only one, is during delivery. And because we have other means of dealing with that, um, it removes the concern of pikuach nefesh. So they happen to be actually very rare circumstances where those come up. If you, however, subscribe to the view that it is only chavala, it is only wounding, so chavala is permitted when there is a tzorach. We, many, many people do permit plastic surgery for cosmetic reasons, right? Simply, presumably, there's some type of mental anguish that one, that we, that the person wants to address. So it's not considered that the prohibition of wounding is only when it's done derech nitzayim, when it's done in a destructive fashion. So if there's a constructive reason for doing it, um, it would allow a lot, a, a lot broader range of situations. The, the two most common that I think that come up in our community are number one, uh, situations of fetal defects. And obviously there's a, there's a range of of, uh, of what what can, you know what is defective, but once one argues that it's havala, if one were to argue that it's prohibition of murder, there's essentially no fetal defect that would permit terminating the pregnancy, unless perhaps perhaps there are those who would argue the fetus would not be born alive. That might be a different story. But most mm -hmm. of the conditions they test for and that they know of in advance when they do their genet genetic testing are things where the fetus will survive and survive often more than a year. Um, so you, you're not going to 
going to even invoke the consideration that maybe it's a trefa, which may not change anything anyway. There's still the prohibition of killing a trefa. But situations where there are fetal defects, while that could constitute a real need, uh, the strain and the stress on the family of having to uh, raise such a child, uh, on the one hand, there may be sometimes blessings, but obviously it's an enormous, enormous challenge. And so that's one common situation. The other, which I think is rarer, but is situations of teen pregnancies and maybe even single women, you know, who became pregnant, uh, which in our community still, I think there was a pretty strong stigma attached to that, which I don't think is inherently a bad idea. I don't think we should actively shame people. It's a bad idea. But the idea that it is not common in our community because we understand that children, that, that sex ideally is supposed to remain in the context of marriage and hence children in the context of marriage. I, I, I'm not naive enough to think that that is always the case. None of us are. But the reality is, whether one likes it or not, one thinks it's a good idea or not, there is a lot of stigma attached to it. That can be a tremendous source of familial tension, a source of shame. And so that's the other common situation that comes up. And if if one subscribes to the view that the prohibition is chapala, then uh, then there's much greater grounds to be lenient in, in those situations, or at least some uh, some subset of those situations. If I may just also add in this context, one, one other point that I'd like to introduce. In the United States, uh, abortion is viewed as a woman's issue. In the Orthodox community, abortion is, I don't think viewed as, an, as a women's issue, it's viewed as a family, family issue. It's not about, it's not generally seen as a woman's right to terminate. It's usual, most cases, the questions are with families and it's a family grappling with the question of, do we, do we keep the pregnancy? Do we terminate the pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Um, and even in the, even in the, in the rarer context, I think of single women being pregnant, I, I think it's not, uh, it, it's really seen in the context of family and its impact, uh, not just my right to choose. So it, it's not really seen as I, uh, my perception. It's not really a woman's issue. And when we get childs almost all the time, it's really more as a familial issue. Um, so it's just, it's seen a little bit through a different prism. That's interesting. I'm very interested in the fact that Rav Chaim has such a limiting view of what defines Pikuach Nefesh. That seems to generally go against his larger approach. He's famous for having a very expansive view of Pikuach Nefesh in other contexts. Yes, but if you consider the Ubar a Nefesh, then you're now choosing between two lives. Uh In other words, it's pikuach nefesh either way. And so now you have to choose. And generally speaking, in in pikuach nefesh situations or murder, potential suffix questions, where you might be committing murder, we tend to to argue for shevi altasa, for being passive, because the the murder by its definition is active. Passive violation is losam al-damarecha, which is a serious, serious prohibition, but it doesn't, it's simply... It's not on the same level as Los Sirtzach of, of, of the prohibition of murder. Now, assuming that we're working with the assumption of murder, or perhaps even not, is there ever a case when abortion would be mandated? Meaning not just that they have the right to an abortion, but a family, as you put it, would be required to abort the baby because of a potential pikuach nefesh issue. Meaning is it not even a choice at that point? If the rabbi being consulted says the mother's life is in danger, even perhaps because of mental illness, not only physical illness. In that case, would you say she must abort or is that not the case? I, I think normally we would say that if this pikoach nefesh, well, let me say the following. Certainly if you subscribe to the fact that it's chavala, um, but I think even in the camp that 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 believes that it's ritzicha, I don't think they would view it as optional. I'm not sure about Rukhaim because that's that's even one step beyond. But if you review, if you view it simply as a prohibition that cannot be set aside, except for in situations of Pikuach Nefesh, normative uh, practice is that when one is permitted to violate an Isra Pikuach Nefesh, one is obligated to do so. There are, there are the sort of the cases in the cracks in medieval Ashkenaz of, of martyrdom 
in situations where you didn't have to, but I don't think that would really be applicable in these situations. Now, you mentioned before that even according to the opinion, the Rambam, who says that the fetus is a human life, you also said that that doesn't begin at conception. So when, according to the Rambam and that general approach, when does human life begin? Can we determine that? I believe, I, the Rambam, I don't know that he explicitly addresses the issue in this context, and it's not, it's not addressed in this context. But the Gemara in Yavamos speaks about a fetus before 40 days, and that's 40 days from conception, not the way doctors, at least in the United States, count when they give you, you know, X weeks of pregnancy, the way doctors calculate is from the date of the last period. So you have to really add two weeks. So the doctors would call 54 days. So between seven and eight weeks, up until 40 days, the Ubar is considered Maya Ba'alma. What that means in the context of Yavamos is that if you have, for example, a Bas Kohen who married a Yisrael, once she marries the Yisrael, she cannot eat truma. If he dies or divorces her and she has no children, then she is Choseris Lebesavia. We'll actually read about it in next week's Parsha, uh, or for you in Israel, this week's <laughs> this Parsha. Week's Parsha yeah. and, uh, and, and she can eat truma again. But if she has a child from that Tsar, from that non-Kohen who's alive, or if she's pregnant, she cannot eat truma. And if she miscarries and she has no living children, she can eat truma. But if she carries the term and the child is born, obviously she can't eat truma. But it, before 40 days, if there's a possibility that she's pregnant but less than 40 days, we're not concerned about it because the Vlad is considered Maya Ba'al. And that leads to, I think, a very broadly accepted practice. Um, I don't know from Moshe, who was amongst the Machmirim, or Moshe Feinstein's out, but I know from Rabbi, I know Rabbi Tendler talking about this, and I assume it's Ramosha's position. And, and again, maybe Ramosha st- states it explicitly that before 40 days, they don't consider it to be Ritzicha. Uh, before 40 days, they would permit in situations of fetal anomalies and things like that. Possibly, I don't know what other considerations, but I know Rabbi Tendler Zal, when he, I once heard him talking about this in sort of a semi-private conversation, he was talking about the possibility of di- diagnostic procedures before 40 halachic days, which he had doctors who thought who could do what I think is called CVS, uh, not, not amnio, but CVS to make a determination, in which case it would, you know, sounded from him, it would be, you know, he would permit terminating a fetus if there were, if there were you know, genetic anomalies at, during that time. So I think it's pretty broadly accepted before 40 days, uh, a fet- it is not a life. There's no little question about that. The phrase Maya Balma, which means it's just water, does that, maybe we're getting too much into the weeds here, but does that imply it's not even a limb of the mother, which would mean that even the prohibition of Chabala of wounding also doesn't apply? So let me take one step back. I, I think it's really worth mentioning something which I think should speak to us more broadly in dealing with this issue. I'd say attitudinally. I mentioned before that the Gemara Narachan says that if you that if the mother dies, pregnant woman dies, you can bring a knife through the Rishus Arabim to cut her open. So the Balayatosis asks a question, which is, I don't understand. If the Uber is not an Efesh and, and you can kill the fetus. You can kill the fetus before you execute the mother. You can kill the fetus be a dime, not just you execute the mother and the fetus happens to die. Then how are you allowed to be Michal Shabbos to save the fetus? So Tosas quotes two answers. One answer that Tosas quotes is that the fetus is not a life as long as the mother is alive because it's drawing its sustenance from the mother. It's just the limb of the mother. Once the mother dies, if the fetus is still alive, it now has its own chios, its own, its own life. And that's why you can be Michal Shabbos. It's almost like being born in a sense. Correct. It's being born, but it's kind of, I think those use expression like it's stuck in a side. It's closed in a box and trying to cut the box open. But the second, the second, the other approach that Tosus quotes is really actually illuminating. Tosus says that even though the Uber is not a nefesh, because if it's born and alive, it will be able to keep many Shabbosos. So we have a principle, Chalo love Shabbos Achas, Kedeshi Yishma Shabbosos Harvey. Now, 
that's not a nefesh, because if it were, we invoke the categories of pikuach nefesh, but this answer of Tosus has rejected that. What Tosus is really saying is that there's potential for life here, potential for kiyam hamitzvos, and for that, we're allowed to be mechal shabbos. I, I don't know what Tosus would say about other isurim, because right? it's not a classic pikuach nefesh, but, but it might be unique to Shabbos to be mechal shabbos. Again, I don't know what other isurim you would need to violate to, say, to save this fetus, mm-hmm. but Shabbos, you can be mechal because Kadesh Yishmar Shabbos is harvest. So that, at the very least, indicates that we don't take abortion lightly. And I would say even before 40 days, even if it's Maya Ba'alma, again, the issue, Chavala would be permitted on most technical grounds for almost any need, as long as it's not fundamentally destructive. Um, you could envision certainly, and I don't know how, I never encountered Shilas of people, you know, asking a Shaila about terminating a pregnancy because of economic stress. And, and, and the appropriate answer there, when you ask the rabbi, is for him to go to his rabbi's discretionary fund and help support the family, mm-hmm. not to terminate the pregnancy. But technically speaking, from a Chavala perspective, it should be permissible as well. If that's the only consideration, because it's not Chavala Shalom There's a real Tzorach. There's a real financial. Raising you know, children are very expensive, as anybody who's raised children know. So I, I think the reason why I can't imagine that there are post generally who would commit under those circumstances is because there is potential life involved, even if it's not a nefesh, even if there's no technical obligation to save the life, and there's no prohibition in terms of ritzicha, but but life, we, we value you know life and potential life in that regard, and so we don't take it lightly doing so, even though on a most technical level it might be permitted. So Rabbi Weider, you've presented the two basic approaches, one saying that the prohibition would be Chavala, which is wounding, mm-hmm. the other one saying it's Resicha, which is murder. Which one is more broadly accepted, do you think, by modern postgame? Um, I don't want to say, I won't say universally accepted, but uh, I think the uh, lenient approach is is the Halacha. If we, I, I, if you go back a generation to Rav Moshe, Feinstein Zal, Rav Zal, and I believe Rav Aaron Kotlin, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky Zal, so I think they were all machmir on abortion. If you go to this generation, I, I won't name the names, even though I assume they would stand by their positions publicly and it's well known. The people who paskin all the shilas in the modern Orthodox community, the two most prominent Rashi Yeshiva paskin shilas in Eretz Yisrael, the most prominent postcom, starting with the Tzitzeliezer. And there were exceptions. Roshlom Zalman wasn't so inclined to be lenient, but I think he sent people to Tzitzeliezer. Um, I think almost all the people who are answering the shilas today are makeup. I want to ask you a question about that. They're makil because they find a reason that it's pikuach nefesh and broaden the definition of no. pikuach nefesh, or because no. they call it wounding. They think it's the first approach no, of wounding. Not, they think it's not ritzicha. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and for a topic, I know you want to ask me about certainly for Jews that that's opening a Pandora's box. I'm sure maybe we'll take a few minutes to talk about it. But I think that the the predominant view is that is that certainly terminating pregnancy for a Jew is not uh, it's not an act of ritzicha. It's an act of chavala, and it, and it could be permitted in a much broader range of circumstances. Um, you know, the fact that this is the, you know, I'm sure there were some people push back and says, says who? I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I know in, our, in, in my community, I know who's answering the Shilas. I, I have a pretty guy in Brooklyn who everybody's going to with their Shilas. Um, you might call this the law of natural selection of postkin. Uh, it's a comment that Rav Aaron Lichtenstein Zal quoted in one of his essays. I forget which godly quoted it from, who said that big postkin were rarely machmirim because you were so machmir, people stopped coming to you with their Shilas. That, that's the way it is. We can like it or not, but a posik is the person who people ask the shilas to and gives the answers. And if they stop sending you shilas, you may be a gadol hador, but you're not the posik anymore. <laughs> so the reality is that I, I think that has it, what is going on in the modern Orthodox community. Uh, uh, you know, one of the I won't say oh, it's probably obvious. One of the most prominent posik in Eretz Yisrael in terms of Eretz Yisrael Chutzlar is a big makel on, on abortion. Um, I, I don't know why the shift. That's an interesting question. 
Um, but but the, I think there's a very clear demarcation. One of the things which I, I don't, historians one day will sort of ask this question, I imagine. I, I think that until probably the late 1970s or at sometime in that period, you had no way of knowing, no, no way of knowing that the fetus had a genetic anomaly. The best you would know is that the parents were both carriers because Ronald Litzlan already had a child that was born, let's say, with Tay-Sachs. But you really, you really didn't know. I, I think Doria Sharon was only started in the 80s at some point um, and initially was just looking for Tay-Sachs and then they expanded it. But, but really until probably the end of Ramosha's life and certainly a time in which he was still passing in childless, basically you had no way of knowing what the fetus was going to be. So the question probably would have been a much more, it would probably much more limited question that, you, that would have been asked. In the last 30 years, you know, the explosion of, of, of prenatal testing has really opened up the possibility of making a decision, things that we didn't even know were conditions. And now all of a sudden we can know that are, that are, that, that are going to be potential problems. Um, again, I, I don't think that that drives the underlying sources. Um, you know, one of my rabbis, who's one, I'm not, again, I, I've chosen not to name names, people may know, who I, whenever I have these Shilas, when they come my way, I go talk to them. I know what his answer is going to be. Um, he's very clear that he thinks that the overwhelming consensus of Psach always was that Uber was not an effish, not like Ramosha. Um, Ramosha was a giant. He powered over everybody else in the United States. Um, but but this particular Pose thinks that, no, that we don't pass the way. It's not, there's certainly nothing obviously conscious that that is, that is adopting this. He really thinks that this is the predominant position. And I think that when you look at the Rishonim, I think there's a very strong argument to be made for that. But nonetheless, Ramosha was Ramosha. So I don't know what has created the shift, but uh, but even in the United States now, not just in Eretz Yisrael, the Tzitzel Yisrael was there for a long time. Um, but uh, but in the United States now also, I think, again, there may be individuals who choose not to go to the Mikhailim, uh, either because they choose not to or because they go to their Rav, who are the Rav is, and their Rav happens to follow Moshe. But I think that most of the people today are asking the Shilas who are or the Mikhailim, who assume that it's not murder, and therefore they will permit terminating in a in a range of a range of possibilities that go beyond Kikwach Nefesh in any sense of the word. So I'm going to ask a question now, which is almost to head off something which I can almost see happening. Based on what you said, I'm sure there are people thinking right now, why do I have to go to a postake or a Rav at all? You already said, most postkims say that it's Chabala, it's wounding. So I'll just decide for myself whether it's worth it to do or not. Unfortunately, there are people who have made that decision, perhaps on that basis. I, I hope that I hope that people understand, because of you know what I said before uh, in Tosfos, that we take potential life, we take an Ubar very seriously. We don't we don't see this as oh you know uh, it, we, we treat this as as a, another form of birth control. You know if the original form didn't work or you changed your mind, from a spiritual religious perspective, it's a serious decision. And the idea you know if if someone is not a serious person. And religiously speaking, at least. So yeah, they'll do whatever they want. Many of them won't even come ask the Shiloh. But I, you know, the, the situations, you know, I've only known what the situations I dealt with are people who have certainly sufficient Yerushalayim who understand uh, that there's an issue here, who would not think to terminate a pregnancy just because, you know, because what's the, you know, what's the big deal? So there are people, look, there are, there are people who don't ask Shilohs and all sorts of things, um, but this is really a serious issue. And I think that there are postkim who I know that there are postkim who would say that if you came without a reason, they would call it. Chavala requires a tzorech as well. It's not any any because I feel like it. Um, and defining what that tzorech is, so that's why you go ask a shaila. All right, well, thank you for that. I want to go back to something which you alluded to a moment ago, 
And you mentioned it at the beginning of our talk when you mentioned that pasuk, shofech dam hadam ba'adam, one who spills the blood of a person in a person, which is one way of understanding that pasuk, implying that for non-Jews, abortion actually could be murder, even if it is not for Jews. First of all, am I understanding what you said properly? I don't want to quote you wrongly. That, that is correct. And as the Gemara in Sanhedrin implies, talking about B'nai Noach, that it's an act of murder and capital murder. You can get the death penalty for it. Um, the, the challenge then becomes the principle the Gemara in Sanhedrin articulates a number of times, mi kamidi, is there anything that's permissible for a Jew and prohibited for a Gentile? We generally assume that principle operates, but not, not everybody agrees that's the maskana. And even within that, there may be a certain amount of wiggle room of arguing that some things might be prohibited for both, but for different reasons, which in some circumstances might lead to different outcomes. But on the surface, at least, it would seem that anything that would be permissible for a Jew in the context of abortion should be should be permissible for a Gentile. And if we know that it's prohibited for a Gentile, it's an act of murder. That's the strongest argument that for a Jew, it's murder as well. But for whatever reason, it's not capital murder. So you don't get the death penalty, but it's an act of Shvifostam. But there are those who want to argue that there is a, a difference uh, between the two. Now, I think there, there are a couple of uh, interesting sources that point in, I'll say in the other direction, that there can't be a distinction. And how do they deal with this particular problem? If you assume there are many Rishonim who say that an Uber is not a Nefesh, and at the same time, how is a Ben Noach Nehrat? Two interesting sources of thinking about this. One of them is a Tshuva V'yachiezer, Chaim Ozer, in which he suggests that those who say that Uber Yerachimo and that it's not a Nefesh and it's not murder killing it, do not hold like the Rambam, do not hold like the Tanadbe Rabbi Shmuel that a Ben Noach is Neragel Barim, but they hold like the other Shita. There is no prohibition. There's certainly, we don't know, there's no prohibition, presumably because there's no penalty for a non Jew performing abortion. So therefore, it is, it is Havala for Jews and it might be permitted for Gentiles, according to that view. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to find very much in the Rishon on this topic because uh, I don't think too many Christians or Muslims were coming to ask them Shilas about right. terminating pregnancy. So they're just, it, it's possible you'll find here and there something, but they're not really, it's not an issue for them. Right. The Rambam codifies it because the Rambam codifies everything. The second interesting approach, I believe the Sweet Aish writes in an essay of his about abortion, where he suggests, and I'll admit, I, I, on the one hand, I'd like this to be true, but I don't find it so compelling, that the prohibition for B'nai Noach is not murder, but rather it's Gezel. Assuming that Nezek, any kind of Nezek is subsumed under through the parish of Gesa, let's say, like uh, Rabbeinu Yonah in his introduction to Avos. So then, uh, since the Benoach is Chayim Misa on Gezel, which is its own discussion, the right. Benoach, according to one opinion in the Gemara and the way the Raman Paskins are Chayim on all Sheva Mitzvahs. So the prohibition of abortion is not murder, it's Gezel. But that would imply, that would imply then that it's not murder for anybody. And presumably, even for a non Jew, if ironically, for those who see this as a women's issue, as a feminist issue, they wouldn't be. Ha- they would like the maskana, but they wouldn't like the reason why. As long as the father is okay with the abortion, it would be fine because the main flood those go to the father. So it, it would produce the the outcome that some would want, but not for the reason that the they reasoning would, want. would definitely make people very upset. Yes. So so, but I, I think that if you adopt that approach, that also solves the dichotomy because it means fundamentally with rishus, it should be permissible for Ben Noach the same range of things that are permissible for a Jew. And I, I've never seen the issue discussed. The, in, assuming that abortion is permitted, and this would certainly not make those who are, you know, who are coming from a certain perspective happy, is a woman allowed to have abortion without the permission of her husband, because the mevlad does belong to him. And while, again, as I said, this is not a women's issue in our community; it's a family family issue. I suspect that there has never been a case where a woman wanted to terminate the pregnancy, and the husband's primary objection was, "But it's my mevlados." 
I, I suspect that has never happened. Um, but technically speaking, it probably is also without the permission of the husband because the levados belong do, do belong to him, that he has some type of zechus in that. So, so those are two ways of bridging the gap. But if you don't, and there is one last one, if you permit me to share my, my, my I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek language, I do mean the question seriously, um, uh, but just for those who really want to go down this path, there is a machlokis in the Gemara. That's clear. There seem to be two opinions as to whether Ben Noach is Neragalahu Barit. Because if you hold like the Tanakama, there's no source that a Ben Noach should be killed for a fetus. Presumably, there's no prohibition. What compels we can make it clear Noach. that that pasuk could be read in multiple ways and is read by Correct. different people in different right. ways, right? Either teaches you that a Benoach is killed for feticide, or it teaches you that the misa of a Benoach, I believe, is chenek. It's dam ha'adam ba'adam. Uh, so if you hold like the Tanakama, then it's permissive, then a feticide is permissible for a Benoach. If that's the case, so the Raman Paskin liked the Tanabe Shmuel, that's very nice. But what compels a non-Jew Paskin that way. And I will add a little further detail <laughs> for those who like to have fun. The Rambam Paskins in Hilchos, I think, that Sveika Doraisa Lechumra, that a, a doubt in a, in a Doraisa law of having to go stringency is only the Rabbana. And it's mid the Oraisa, except for under certain limited circumstances, it would seem, uh, the obligation to be stringent is only rabbinic. But they know are not bound by rabbinic law. So even if one were to argue that this is Sveika the Raisa Muhammad, but that's only made the Rabbanan, so the Benioch can say, we pass like Tanakama. I say that both jokingly, and you, you laugh, and I understand. It is a serious meta halachic question. But I understand why it's a serious answer. It's, just, it's a funny way of putting it that when the Benioch is paskening, like, like there's a the Rabbanan, but I like it. But there's a serious lumbus underneath it. I understand that. Correct. But once, if you're not willing to go down that path and argue, if you're willing to insist, Again, if you believe that it's Ritzicha for Jews, then it's really not, a, then it's very simple and straightforward. If you, however, are going to divide it up and argue that it is Chavala for Jews and Ritzicha for non-Jews, that's not a position that works in the, in the political arena. It's, to me, it's inconceivable to lobby for a position that abortion should be prohibited except for for Jews. I'm sure that nobody anywhere, the OU, the Aguda, nobody would even want that position out there. Like you can't even utter that, the idea that, oh yeah, but for us, it will be permitted. So then you're left in, in a very uh, complicated position. Uh, for me, I don't think it's such a complicated position. I, I think that we should not be lobbying for prohibitions on abortion, certainly if, for, for two reasons. Number one is a pragmatic issue. Uh, if, I, if you were to ask me, what was, should we lobby on gay marriage? And my answer would be the following. From a halakhic perspective, gay marriage is categorically prohibited for Jews, for non-Jews, makes no difference. There's no way we should express our approval for it. There's no way we should be fundamentally supportive of it. But I hear the position, and I probably even subscribe to the position, that I'm not interested in trying to impose my views upon the rest of my secular society, Jewish and non-Jewish, because it's not good for me, generally speaking. Religious liberty uh, is good for from Jews so that we can observe God's laws. We are not obligated, certainly in Chutzlaretz, to enforce Sheva Mitzvahs. There's no mitzvah l'sharish achareha for Avodizara to, uh, to root it out, except for in Eretz Yisrael. not talking about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no mitzvah to, to, to go after it. It's not our job to enforce the Sheva Mitzvahs. If a Benoach, that were my position, that, that, that for a Benoach it's Ritzicha, for a Jew it's Chavala, and there's a Noachite in America who comes and wants to make me his posik, and he asks me the Shaila, so I'll answer the question. If you know you can in this circumstance, you can in that circumstance. But I think it's really bad policy to push to establish prohibitions because it's bad for our own religious liberty. And then there's a second issue, which is if Roe v. Wade is in fact eliminated, 
it means that Jews in Texas and Jews in Florida, and there, you know, those are the two probably biggest states with Orthodox Jews, but there are a number of other places, obviously not New York, New Jersey, Maryland, California, will now find themselves in situations where they've called up, you know, the most prominent postsek in the modern Orthodox community, the most one of the most prominent postkim in the Eretz Yisrael Haredi, in sort of the Haredi world. He's called up one of the most prominent postkim in Brooklyn, who said, "Yes, you may terminate this pregnancy. It might even be advisable." And, and the state law is going to say, no, you're not allowed to do that. You could even have a situation less common where the sock is you're obligated to terminate the pregnancy. And now you're going to have to violate the halacha because the state says, you know, says that you're not you're, you're not allowed to uh, to have this abortion. Um, one of my friends even suggests, I don't know if this is true, that currently in Texas, and I don't know why, I don't know what the law will be in Ohio if Roe v. Wade falls. Someone could not only sue the abortion practitioner, but they could sue the rabbi for giving the sock. Which to me is kind of hard to hard to fathom, but it might be true. So I think from the vantage point, not even just you know stay out of it because I don't want them making laws that would bother me. But I believe that that there are many states now that will be prohibiting things that the consensus of psak is currently being given to people uh, would permit, um, and in some cases would even advise. I'll leave out the mandate part because I think most states will probably still have an exception for danger to the mother's life. Maybe not forever, but at least for now, I don't think that, that that's the issue that's being contested, but it will create many, many hardships. Um, and of course, some people will probably answer, and it's true, although it's not true for all Orthodox Jews, that many will have the resources to travel to a state where they can do it. But it's not a simple matter. It's not a simple matter at all. And um, I, I'm reluctant uh, to impose hardships upon anybody. Frankly. I, I generally don't like the idea of the government uh, legislating in matters that touch upon religion. I do understand in this particular case, it's really, really complicated. It's complicated because if you believe that a fetus is a life from whatever stage you believe, so of course people should stand up and want to stop murder. There's no, no question about it. If the United States tomorrow instead went the other way and had states permitting infanticide, I would argue we should all be carrying signs protesting, right? We shouldn't permit murder. So in that sense, it's not the kind of thing where I would like people, I, I would like the Catholic Church to stay out of public policy when it comes to birth control. Because let's talk about condoms, things, things that are nobody's going to argue are aborting the fetus, you know, certain IUDs, forgetting how it really does work or not. I'd like them to stay out of public policy. That's your own sectarian and religious views. I respect you to have that. Keep out of my business. Keep out of the public sphere. I don't want to legislate hazard prohibitions for the rest of the world. I want to, I want to keep out. But abortion is much more complicated because this is, a, I think, what everybody would agree if you're debating when life begins or when it is a life. It boils down to a core ethical issue that we all subscribe to, you know, even to borrow Jonathan Haidt's terms, you know, weird society, you know, the uh, Western intellectual educated rich democratic who only subscribe their value system as only as fairness and care and not harming others. Well, this does become a question of harming others. So on the one hand, I understand the complexity of the issue. This is not stay out with your religious business because this is a broader ethical issue. On the other hand, it would be nice to hear the complexity that we're not really sure when life begins, that this is really a complicated metaphysical question and showing somebody a picture of an ultrasound doesn't tell you anything whether that individual is currently endowed with a tselem kim, which then means It's a really complicated question. It's complicated within halacha. It's complicated from a general secular philosophical perspective. So while I understand you're adopting a particular position, it would be nice if people had nuance and subtlety and complexity to understand that it really is a complicated issue. It's not black and white, even if you show me a, a heartbeat or a picture, you know, or an ultrasound picture. It's just, it's one of those questions that's really hard to know. So Rabbi Weider, based on 
everything you've said until now, it sounds like your general approach would be, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that I'm going to use the term in quotes, using the common terminology that if we advocate for anything, we should be pro-choice using that terminology, right? Is that, it, but, I, 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 but at the same time, the reason what I'm going to ask you is, apart from the fact that I agree that terminology is very problematic, it's a, it's a slogan and there are problems with it, but also in so doing, we're making common cause with people who are saying a very different argument that we won't agree with. So I, I, I would say that we should be pro uh, pro Roe v. Wade, if you want to put it that way. Uh, let me say something further. I think this gets this gets lost as with so many issues that, that reducing everything to a binary. What I would say is that there are many, many people who are very pro-life, but don't care very much about what happens to the fetuses after they're born. Now, there are exceptions, sir. There are exceptions, and you can find them in news, the people who work really hard to help women who choose to have children. And I think that it would be a very good idea, instead of banning abortion, to try to marshal public resources to, at the very least, for women who see themselves as being backed into a corner, to providing for them financially and providing other kinds of support resources so that they choose to have the baby. Because there are many women who are deeply conflicted when they choose to terminate a pregnancy, um, but feel that they have no choice. And on some level, they don't really have a choice. So we should exhibit as much care for their children when they're born and for them to allow them not to feel that they need to terminate their pregnancy. That to me would be the, the most optimal thing to do because if you did that, you would eliminate a lot of abortions in this country uh, simply by providing the resources for people who maybe otherwise would rather carry the baby to term uh, and, and something like that. When you say we should be pro Roe v. Wade, I guess I still have that question. And again, that's a position which I broadly agree with. I mean, if you want my personal opinion, it's a matter of, and I'm not a lawyer, my personal opinion is a matter of constitutional law. I would almost think Roe v. Wade should be overturned and then every state should allow abortion. But that's, that's, a, that, that's a, I know uh, the liberal lawyers I know will tell you Roe v. Wade was an awful decision. That's what I mean by that. Exactly. And, and, and like it or not, in the leaked opinion, the idea that it terminated a discussion that would have happened is most likely true. Um, and I think uh, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg may have said something like that. So there's no question. It's a terrible judicial decision. And it's something that should be should have been left for the legislatures to decide precisely because it's such a complex issue. It's not just about a woman's right to choose. It's really about when does life begin, which, again, is complicated. It's That's not, exactly know. why federalism was created for questions like this. But but again, my, my position is not I, I, it's not pro Roe v. Wade. I'm not pro, pro choice. But given what I know about the range of halakhic opinions and what I believe to be the reality on the ground, I don't want to be restricting Jews, my communities, I would say, from Jews' choice when they go to their posek and the posek tells them they can, may, or occasionally even should terminate this because of whatever the impact of carrying the child is, and then be told by the state, no. For something that we, we have a very long tradition, we have an ancient tradition, we don't, we don't take life lightly. We don't take, we don't take the sanctity of life lightly. Um, and this is not a decision that we have chosen out of convenience, convenience, but rather one that is deeply rooted in many of our traditional sources. And, and that's why I think that I would like to see it remain legal, because I do not want to see, you know, the post who are making these decisions, I don't want to see their hands tied. And what you say is very compelling. For me, one of the remaining outstanding problems is that issue of nuance. As you said at the beginning of our talk, it's approaches in halacha, not one approach. And that nuance is obviously lacking in the public discourse where it's a binary choice. And that's the way public discourse goes. I get that. At the same time, whatever side of the ledger a Jew finds himself on, making common cause with either the Christian right 
or with the progressive left, I think either way, those sides still represent many values that we can't agree with. And I think it's a real problem. Correct. Uh, no, no, no question about that. You're not getting an argument for me, okay. uh, which is why I don't like I won't choose any of those slogans. I'm pro allowing halachic and minimally allowing halachic options. And I'm pro I'm pro liberty, generally speaking. I'm not interfering, especially when issues are ambiguous. Rabbi Weeder, this has been fascinating and very enlightening and very important and timely. Do you have any final comments you want to make uh, before we close? One, one thing that I would say, often the discourse in the from community is an assumption of Ramosha's position uh, that uh, abortion is a feticide, is a, is, is a form of retzicha, it's a form of murder, and it's only permitted in situation of danger to the mother's life. And that certainly is a position that exists. But and some of the fact, some of the reason why people tend to think that that's the only position is because that was our most position was a prominent position. That is part of it. But I sense that part of it also is a, a political alignment, uh, that people have come to, on other issues, right or wrong, align themselves with a particular political movement. And the danger in doing that is that you start to see the world through the eyes of that political movement. So in this particular context, for most from Jews, and maybe the opposite for non-from Jews, they see that whatever the politics of the Republican Party, that is what is Torah Mishinah. And therefore, the fact that the Republican Party bans abortion will obviously ban, ban abortion. And again, it's complicated because there were postkim who banned, major postkim who banned abortion. But that's in fact not the sole voice of the sources, maybe not even the dominant voice of the sources. And it's certainly not the dominant, if, if common at all, PSAC today. And it's really important. It's really important to recognize that we are supposed to derive our values from Chazal, from the Torah, from Halacha, not from either party, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Um, and here, I sometimes sense that people's alignment is their politics have taken over their religion. That's something we have to be very careful about. In this and many other situations as well. Rabbi Jeremy Weeder, thank you very much for joining me today. This is so important, and I thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers. And you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum. 
on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>